Well, very soon, just a matter of hours, the number seven is going to turn into the number eight. And there's going to be uh, fireworks, and there's going to be uh, a lot of shouting and excitement. Already, people have been looking back. Our media, TV, and our papers have analyzed uh, the past. We are very well aware of what's happened, of the mistakes and the victories. And there's been a looking forward. And because the seven is changing to an eight, there's a great expectation, at least generally speaking. It's an almost superstitious belief that somehow the, the change from the 31st of December 2017 to the 1st of January 2018 will make a big difference. Now, if that change brings a change of attitude, a change of thinking on our part, then that's a good thing. If it encourages us to strengthen that which is weak in us, there may well be change because the year has changed. But this morning, we're not talking about clock time. We're not talking about dates and years as regards numbers. We're talking about something much more important. If I asked you, what time is it in the history of the United Kingdom? Well, you wouldn't say 31st of December 2017, would you? You would say Brexit time. A uh, divorce from Europe. Doesn't matter what you think about it. That's the reality. That's what's been uh, uh, possessing at least uh, politicians uh, the past year. But our perspective as Christians, it's not national, although we are uh, members of the nation. It's not even international. Our perspective is God's perspective from heaven. It's a spiritual perspective. And my brethren, it's so easy for us especially at these times, to go along with the world, to get caught up with the world. So I want you, together with me, let's understand the significance of the time in which we live. And in the context of what Paul is writing here in Romans 13, it's one of the ways that we shall be able to fulfill the law of God, to love one another. When we have an understanding of the truth, of doctrine, that is what will enable us to live godly lives. Let's put it this way. As you thought of the next year, 
Do you want to be a better Christian? Of course you do. You want to be more holy, more Christ-like? Of course you do. Well, this passage is telling you one great perspective which will enable you to do that. Indeed, if you want to grow as a Christian, don't say to yourself, ah, if only I could go to one of these conferences and I'm going to one next week. But if only I can go to a conference and sort of get zapped there, then everything will be all right for the rest of the year. That's not the way it works at all. It's by understanding the truth and living according to the truth. Those are the two things we should be looking at this morning. So, first of all, what is the time? As we look at Romans 13, 11 through 14. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. Paul expects us to know the time, doesn't he? He says, besides this, you know the time. What time is it? It's time to wake from sleep. It's a common, almost everyday experience. Typical morning, you have a certain time you need to be in work. You know how long you need to get, uh, to get ready. And so you set your alarm. You don't trust perhaps that you can wake up regularly at the right time. You set your alarm and it goes off. It's time to awake from sleep. It's time to get ready for the responsibilities of the day. And that's where we are in the history of the world, the word of God says. In God's timetable, the night is far gone. It's almost finished. The day is about to dawn. That's how you to look at the day in which we live. Ever since Christ came, we are living in the last days. They've been here now for 2,000 years. In these last days, the writers of the Hebrews says, chapter 1, verse 1, in these last days, God has spoken to us by a son. That's the biblical perspective. Don't think of last days as somehow our present century. That's a very self-centered way of looking at things, isn't it? As if the day in which I live is so significant. The significance is the coming of Christ and the establishment of the kingdom of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11, Paul says the 
the ends of the world have come upon you. The end is fast approaching. We're in the last part of human history. Look at his language in verse 11. Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. That's the glorious fact of the change from seven to eight. Salvation is a year nearer, a day nearer. And by salvation, the Bible is referring to that final, full salvation that will come to us when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. It's fairly common in the Bible to see salvation in that way. Let me just read one passage to you from 1 Peter chapter 1. Talking about those who have been born again, he's thanking God for what he's done in his mercy, in giving them new life and in giving them an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven. And he says in 1 Peter 1, 5, that you also are being kept. Not only is the inheritance reserved for you, you yourself are being kept for it. And he calls it a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you can say, the Lord has saved me. I am saved. I have been saved. That's something that's happened. You've been redeemed. You've been forgiven. You've been reconciled to God. But that's not all the salvation that God has planned to bring to us. There's the final installment which will come when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. Are you content to be as you are right now for eternity? You want to continue to live in this body with all the struggles that it brings to you? You want continual sickness and, if it were possible, death? You want trials and sin around you? Is that what you would like for the rest of eternity? Ah, we have a glorious, full salvation yet to be revealed when these mortal bodies will be made like Christ glorious body then there'll be no more sorrow then there'll be no more sighing then there'll be no more death that's what we wait for that salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed or as Paul puts it in Romans the first installment is when our spirits are made alive. 
The second installment is when our bodies are raised from the dead by the very same spirit that raised our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. Maybe you say, that's wonderful. I hope you say it's wonderful, because it is. But how can that time be at hand? It says in verse 12, the day is at hand. 2,000 years have passed since this was written. That's not my idea. It's at hand. The Apostle Paul was not mistaken. He knew there would be many false expectations. Indeed, he writes to the Thessalonian church and says, don't be excited or quickly shaken in mind to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. It won't come unless, and then he tells what must happen. Jesus himself told some parables, didn't he, to warn his disciples that his return is not simply tomorrow. You remember the ten virgins, don't you? The five wise and the five foolish virgins. The bridegroom was delayed and the five foolish virgins slept and they didn't have enough oil to welcome him when he came. Then he told another parable about the talents and this one was where the king went on a long journey. He's away a long time. That's all teaching that... Uh, the at hand is not to be interpreted that Jesus should have come in, in 10 years after he rose from the dead. It's near in the sense that to the eye of faith, the return of Christ and our salvation is the next thing and the last thing that's going to happen in God's timetable. That's so important to, to grasp that because that's where our expectation has got to be. We're too often caught up with this age. Romans 12, 2, don't be conformed to this age or to this world. It's too easy to just view things as the world views them, looking to things that are now. Oh, what's your expectation of the future? Well, hope I'll finish my education this year. I hope I'll get a better job this year or get a job this year. I'm looking forward to getting married this year. Again, fairly new in this country, it seems to me that to many people, it's the next event. Okay, we've had Christmas and we're just in New Year. What's the next event? And we're going to pin our hopes on that one. And when that one's passed, there'll be another one or it's going to be the holiday that we hope to have. 
There's nothing wrong with any of those things in and of themselves. But if they're the focus of your hope, then that is worldly and it's not Christian. They are at best temporary. And the great hope of the Christian, as we're reminded, that the year is changing, is that salvation that will come when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. That needs to be deep in our experience and you can know how deep it is by whether you really know the time. Do you know the time in which you live as a Christian? If you do, you know that the present is night and darkness. Verse 12, the night is far gone. <clears throat> the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness. This is why we need <clears throat> government and we need policing and we need all sorts of control because the world in which we live is described from God's point of view as night and darkness. There's a darkness of ignorance. Oh, the ignorance is appalling, isn't it? What people don't even know as regards facts. There's so much knowledge, but what's the purpose of life? There's so much talk about life, no talk about death. Ignorance of death and what happens afterwards. There's the darkness of lifestyle. I don't need to remind you, we, we live in Liverpool, most of us. We're seeing good called evil and evil called good. This season, we see materialism gone mad. It's things, 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 things. Broken relationships. There's loneliness. And God's standards rejected. Darkness is around us. That shouldn't surprise us. That's the world. Do you know that? Is that the way you see things around you? With, with pain, with, with sorrow. And then do you know that the day has broken upon you? It's come into your own experience through being born again of the Holy Spirit. So God has opened your eyes to see things differently. That's the only reason uh, why you see things differently. God has uh, taught you and you come to see now that this world is not your home. You're just a stranger here. Soon, very soon, if Christ doesn't return beforehand, you're going to leave this world as naked as you entered it. It makes us long for the glory of that salvation with Christ when he comes. So I say this to your great encouragement. I don't know what your situation is, but we've all got 
challenges, some more than others. My, my brother and my sister, the day is getting nearer. Whenever you first believed, the salvation that God promised you in Christ in its fullness is nearer and nearer. There's one trial less, one sorrow less, one heartache less, one struggle less, one temptation less. As each day moves on towards that great goal. Then the second thing that I want to bring to you this morning, if that's so, then the Bible simply exhorts us. If you know the time, and you do if you're a Christian, live like one who knows what the time is. You see, that's the biblical method. Have understanding of the day in which you live. And when you understand it, live according to that understanding. If I may say, it's as simple as that. If you know what time it is then, we're told here, awake from sleep because salvation is drawing nearer. Clearly, there was the danger of the Roman Christians that they were living carelessly. They didn't take into account the peculiar situation of the time. Now, at the moment in California, there are the greatest forest fires that they've ever known in terms of extent. And in the middle of the night, a message comes. Flee from your house. The wind is driving the, the flames in your direction. Flee! What's the time? It's time to flee or be consumed. That's the picture that we have here. How many professing Christians are there who are sleeping and they need to awake from sleep? What about yourself? Are you an active Christian or a lazy Christian? Listen to how Jesus puts it. Stay dressed for action, Luke 12, 35. And keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, it's a beautiful picture now. He, that is the master, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. Too many Christians just sitting and listening, accomplishing little or nothing for the kingdom of God. 
It's a temptation to us all, especially when life is going smoothly. You know, you, you have your job, you have enough money, uh, things are going pretty well in the family, and we're part of a church where we're fed spiritually, we rejoice that every Sunday we hear the word of God and we say, what, what, what a great privilege we have, and that's true. Then for those of us who are along life's journey some way, we've not had great ups and downs, but we've been going along. Oh, what great dangers there are for us that we just settle back and become lazy, careless, useless Christians. So I say to you, knowing the time is revolutionary. Just as if you heard that message, all of a sudden in, the, in deep, beautiful slumber, flee because the fire is coming. That totally changes your life, doesn't it? You leave everything behind in that sort of situation. Two things in particular to be done. One negative, one positive. First of all, cast off the works of darkness. There's a lifestyle that we must put off, that we must reject elsewhere. Put them all away, it says, Colossians chapter 3. Hebrews 12 says, lay aside every weight that clings so closely and run the race with perseverance. We must not continue to live as if we still belong to the night. We mustn't be those conformed to the world. Surely this is the great danger that we have as Christians. To be conformed to this world, to do things that the world does. Not wrong in and of themselves, but the aims and the, the motives and the hopes that the world has, we embrace them. <coughs> We don't go to work in our bedclothes, but we dress properly. Mind you, I think I saw a lady walk into the shops this morning. I'm sure she was in her pajamas crossing the road. But typically, at least, uh, <laughs> uh, we don't go to work uh, unless we're dressed properly. And it says here, let us walk properly, verse 13, as in the daytime. Being a Christian is not just adding some religious activities onto the works of darkness. Being a Christian is being totally transformed from within so that uh, you desire no longer the works of darkness and God gives you the power to cast them off. You might be surprised at what's written there in verse 13. Not in orgies and drunkenness. But that's what the holiday has been filled with, isn't it? One is staggered, at least I am, maybe you aren't. I'm staggered sitting, uh, waiting at the supermarket checkout, seeing the amount of alcohol that is purchased by almost everybody that passes through. For some of you, this was your background. 
wasn't it? Orgies and drunkenness. For some of you, you're still tempted. Possibly, you still participate. That is darkness. Put that off. And of course, sexual immorality and sensuality go together with it. Please don't just say, ah, that's got nothing to do with me. This is the time in which we live. It's so easy to be tempted and to fall. Many, many have fallen. But then there's also quarreling and jealousy. Not just lust now of the body, but lust of the mind. And these are things that can easily come into a church. Quarreling. Jealousy. They're all to be cast off. They are works of darkness. What a shame it would be for any of us to be clothed with these works on the day of judgment. But then there's the positive. Verse 12, put on the armor of light. It's a figure you know from letter to the Ephesians. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day. Listen to him writing to the Thessalonians. It's the, the point about armor. But since we belong to the day, 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, let us be sober. Let us think clearly. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Isn't it significant that the clothing that we need to have as Christians is called armor it's clothing for fighting because we're constantly at war with sin as soon as we awake what happens well first of all I've got to deal with myself there's my own thoughts and my own propensities to sin and then I'm living with others. And the way I act to them or they act to me can easily be temptation. It's a struggle, isn't it? And I need armor. I need the armor of light in terms of the full armor that Paul talks about in Ephesians. I need defensive armor, that which protects me. And I need offensive weapons. I need the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, to enable me to live a life in conformity to God. We must wear clothes that are appropriate for uh, the work that is before us. And you may say, well, exactly what does that mean? Well, if you look down in verse 14, as so often the Bible uses other words to explain, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. To 
put on the armor of light is to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Notice the full title, the Lord Jesus Christ. It certainly means that we trust him in each of those names. We live before him as our Lord. We gladly submit to him. When he speaks through his word, we do what he says. We live before him as Jesus, as was quoted earlier, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. We are those who ever trust in him to save us from our sins, to forgive us, to strengthen us to fight against sin, and finally to bring us into glory. He's Christ to us. He's the anointed one. He's our prophet to speak to us and our, our priest who died for us and who prays for us. And he's our king who protects us and rules over us. We put him on. He then is everything to, to us. <clears throat> then it means I follow his example. Who are those who know God? They're those who walk as he walked. So I go through the scriptures, find out how Jesus himself dealt with various situations and different kinds of people. I look at his example in Philippians 2 and 1 Peter 2 of humility and of trusting God when injustice comes my way and I walk as he walked. That's what it means to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We might say, if I put him on, then people don't see me. They see him because I follow his example. And then he's the one I rely on because I know that without him, I can't do anything. Just like the branch of the vine can't bear fruit unless it's joined to the vine. <clears throat> he is my armor, then you might say. And our particular problem is the flesh, verse 14. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Our flesh is screaming to be fulfilled. Self-indulgence in terms of time, in terms of appetite, in terms of thinking and activity is such a temptation. We need to be so careful with those three P's. The P of pleasure and the P of power and the P of possessions. So my friends, as we are at the end of the year, as we say, understand what the time is. Have you ever had joyful longing thoughts about this salvation which is drawing nearer and nearer? Have you ever longed from your heart 
for the coming of the Lord Jesus who saved you, who you long to see face to face? Have you ever said, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus? And has that thought and desire been strong enough in you to enable you at least to begin to cast off the works of darkness and to put on the armor of light. One thing is sure, history is not a never-ending cycle. History has a purpose, it has a goal, it has an end when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. And as Christians, the end of the year and the beginning of the next year reminds us that that day of salvation is nearer than when we first believed. May that scripture be a great blessing to us this morning. Let us pray. Please help us, Lord, to receive your word with faith and grant that by your spirit you'll help us to live according to it. Help us not to be those who hear but don't do. Oh, Lord, have mercy upon us and grant that in the days to come we might be more Christ-like, more zealous Christians. Hear us, we plead, through the name of Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Amen.